Good evening, Cindy. So good to be here with you again to speak today. And if you've just joined a little bit late on the live stream, welcome. Good to have you with us. And if you've been tracking with us um, over a few weeks, it's so good to have you here sticking it out with us doing church online at the moment, week by week. As Tim said, today we begin a new series going through the book of James. We're going to be looking at that for eight weeks, so really digging deep um, into this book together, which I'm really excited about. And uh, I invite you now to find your Bible. We're going to look at the first 18 verses, James 1, verses 1 to 18, and I'm going to read that to you now. James, a servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So the book of James, this is a book about real faith. This is about a faith that isn't just an internal, invisible decision. But this is about a faith that grabs us in the heart, that grabs us in the mind and then bursts forth to show itself visibly and practically in every area of our lives. This is about an infectious faith. We're going to focus particularly this evening on verses 2 to 4, which which have got so much in them. And I'm going to just read them again to you now before we get going. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
Turn back mentally with me to the moment when you heard that lockdown 3.0 was about to begin. Back at the start of January, I wonder how you were feeling as you heard the news. I've got to confess to you this evening that I did not feel pure joy. I felt a kind of sinking weight, like a stone uh, hitting the bottom of my stomach as I heard of that news. But here in verse 2, James says that we can consider our trials pure joy. I mean, I hear that and I think that is upside down, that is back to front. Pure joy in the trials. I mean, what is he talking about? It's a really big ask. It's a really big challenge. And I've been wrestling with my passage myself since I've been asked to speak on this. And especially this week, actually, I've had two of our three children at home, uh, in homeschool. I've had studies and work to juggle. And to be honest, I felt pretty low at moments this week. So I'm preaching this to myself as much as I preach it to you this evening. And today I want to share with you how, through Christ, we can know joy amidst life's trials. Firstly, James is unequivocal about the fact that just by virtue of being human, we will have trials. Trials will come. He says in verse 2 that we can have joy whenever trials come. Notice that little word, whenever. It's there deliberately. God does not promise us trouble-free lives. He doesn't answer all our questions. The trials are not an optional extra. But this is what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So just how can we consider it pure joy when we're struggling and challenging and feeling challenged in the trial? James tells us this is because through those trials, we learn what it means to persevere. And then when perseverance finishes its work, we'll become mature and complete and not lack anything. Now our ears prick up at that, don't they? I I like the sound of that part of the verse much more. Mature, complete, not lacking anything. That sounds really good. Yes, I'll take some more of that. Paul phrases this in a slightly different way. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Don't we long for that? To be content wherever we are, whatever we have, whatever's going on in the media and in the, the bigger world all around us. But hey, look, friends, we're in what I want to call the Amazonified culture. We think, yes, please, I'll take contentment, I'll take maturity, I'll take completion, and I'll have it all delivered by three o'clock this afternoon. Thank you very much. Has anyone else, by the way, found themselves ordering really strange uh, things on Amazon during lockdown? Like, I'm really bad at cooking and I'm not very good at cooking poached eggs, so I thought, well, I'll buy an egg poacher. So I bought one and it kind of came, I think, we haven't got the same day delivery thing, but we've got the next day. So it arrives the next day. Try and use that. It's rubbish. So then I buy another one. And then embarrassed to say I've bought three different egg poachers and I still can't buy and I still can't poach an egg. <laughs> it's the lockdown effect. But I've got some uncomfortable news to deliver you today. We can't ask God to just click his fingers and magically deliver us into maturity and contentment. He isn't some kind of magician. We've got to walk the process. 
But here's our hope and our joy. There is purpose in our perseverance. There is a transformation to come in us, but it only comes through walking that process with Jesus. Our God is in the business of making fractured people whole. And that's a theme that comes around time and again through this book of James, as you'll discover as we dig into it over the next few weeks. My paternal grandfather fought in both world wars. And at the start of World War II, he was uh, captured straight away at Dunkirk and sent to a prisoner of war camp in East Germany. And he, he was to spend the next five years in that place. And I felt like lockdown, which is now a year, has felt so long, it's gone on and on. But he did five years away from friends, from family, from his home, from any creature comforts. And in that camp, he was the senior British officer. So he had this interesting uh, role to play where he had to negotiate with the Nazi commandant, his captor, on behalf of the British troops that he was overseeing, uh, making sure that they got decent care while they were in the camp. But also he had to secretly uh, ratify their plans, the, the British soldiers' plans to escape. They had a duty to try and escape that camp. What a tension to live under for five years. I found myself wondering, how did he know any joy as he endured that trial? One of the things that my father has told me that he did during that time uh, was tapestry and cross-stitch. And I actually want to talk to you a bit about cross-stitch now, because I, I love cross-stitch. Here's a little uh, illustration of something that I've been up to uh, through this past year of lockdown one, two and three, stitching my, my uh, way through the quiet evenings. Um, my fluorescent prawn is now proudly sitting on my sofa at home. And if I was to take um, this apart and take the front off of the cushion, which I'm not going to do now, um, you'd see the back. And I think a slide's going to come up on the screen of what it uh, might look like on the back there. It's a jumbled mess of threads. And often as you stitch, you can't see the picture that's really emerging. You have to persist and you have to stitch on. You don't always know why you're putting this uh, color thread here or that color thread there. But gradually the picture begins to emerge. Often something beautiful and precious can only emerge within us when we persevere with the help of God through the hardship of a trial. We've got to trust that God knows the bigger picture. We've got to trust that he longs to transform us and to forge godly character within us. We've got to trust that he will bring the picture to completion. He's doing that in each of us now, stitch by stitch by stitch. I wonder if you had to identify just one characteristic that God has begun to grow or mature in you through this COVID season, what would you say? Maybe it's time to celebrate some of that small stitch by stitch by stitch growth and maturity that has been coming in you through the work of the Holy Spirit in the hardship of this particular season of trial. 
Now, the thing about my prawn cushion is that he did take me a whole year to complete. And if I just had wanted a fluorescent prawn cushion, I probably could have gone, done a bit of Googling, gone on Etsy. I probably could have brought myself one, could have got it delivered by three o'clock in the afternoon. It would have been much quicker, much cheaper and easier to do it that way. But actually, that cushion for me wasn't really just about the end result. It was about the process. There was joy in the process. I actually find it therapeutic and restful to create. And it helps me when I'm feeling anxious to be creative. Now, similarly, if you're a marathon runner, um, and I expect we've got a few watching, but I'm not one of those. Um, but if you are, you will probably tell me a similar thing, that the joy of the race is in the process. It's in the training. It's in the increased fitness. It's in seeing those timings speed up. It's not actually just the medal and the tick at the end saying, oh, I've done that, ticked it off the list, move on. The process is painful, but it's worth it. These first few verses of James are challenging us today. Will we persevere long enough to discover the joy amidst the pain? Will we persevere long enough to see the growth and to see the transformation? God wants to bring forth the potential that is in you. This message tonight is about the real wrestle of life. It's about allowing God to grow us, to become the fullest version of ourselves. He says, I want to bring you life and life in all fullness. And it's about allowing that fullness to come. That can only happen, James says, if we persevere through the trial. Now, in the last uh, week, you might have been so busy uh, glued to the news feeds that you might have uh, missed a really important date. Uh, on the 2nd of February, it was National Hedgehog Day. Now, in Barnes, that's quite an important thing. We live in uh, Barnes in West London. And um, there's quite a big uh, support group there for hedgehogs. And people even cut these um, holes through their fences so that hedgehogs can kind of um, run in between uh, across the gardens and, and get to all the worms and all the nice food easily. And uh, there's even a hedgehog conservation society in Barnes, which has got more than a thousand followers. I wonder if you've been behaving a little bit like a hedgehog recently. I think it's a little bit like some of us at the moment. We've put on the pause button. We've rolled in a little ball. We've put our uh, spikes up to protect ourselves. We've hunkered down and we've just checked out. We're like, well, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for meals out. I'm waiting for holidays abroad. I'm waiting for international travel and parties with my friends. And of course, none of those are bad things in and of themselves. But if we can't have joy, friends, without our daily luxuries, then we've put our hope in the wrong things. We won't know joy in these daily trials that we're facing unless we relocate all our hope to being focused in the person of Jesus. He is our only true hope. He's our saviour and he's the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, we haven't actually been put on earth just to, to take and to receive and to get hold of as many good things as we possibly can, as fast as we can, and just to eke out of life all that we can, even though that's what our culture might tell us. We've actually been put here to give, to give Jesus Christ away to another, to give love away to another. 
And yes, of course, we're right to physically remove ourselves from each other in this time to stay in our homes, uh, to support the effort against coronavirus. But that doesn't need to mean that we check out relationally or emotionally or spiritually. Imagine if I told you that all the Christians in our nation right now had just, just taken a break for being, from being lights for Christ. They'd just like switch the lights off for this time. You'd be like, what? The world needs lights. They need the light of Jesus now more than any other time. But Jesus said, as Tim reminded us in a sermon a couple of months back, that you and I are called to be the lights of the world. And he pointed out specifically in Matthew's gospel that a light is pretty useless if you hide it under a basket and leave it there. This past week, we have remembered and given thanks for the life of Captain Sir Tom Moore. And he was a picture of perseverance, wasn't he? Not only doing those 1,000 laps of his garden with his frame in his old, old age, in aid of the NHS, but also because he remained checked in. I really respect him for that. Even as a centenarian, he was looking and thinking, how can I play my part for the good of society? How can I be a light in the darkness of this season? I'm so grateful for his example of the very sort of joy-filled perseverance and consequent maturity that these verses in James are talking to us about today. As we close, I want to share four things with you briefly that James advises us to do if we too want to know the joy of Christ in our trials. Firstly, we need to ask for wisdom. I want to read to you again verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I'm asking God for wisdom right now in how to handle this trial because this situation is beyond us, isn't it? Have you slowed down enough to listen for how God might be answering your prayer for wisdom? And we need to challenge ourselves. Secondly, are we looking to our wallet and to our wealth for the answer and to material things for the balm of our healing? James so clearly says in this passage that money isn't the answer. Verse 9 to 10 says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. He means that those who don't have much actually in, in a reverse kind of way have a blessing because they have less to worry about be burdened by and it's a warning but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower what we have he's reminding us is of no eternal consequence it can disappear and all be gone in a flash We say things like, oh, I'll throw money at that problem. But if the things that we throw, if the things that money can buy are the only things that bring us joy, then it's time we ask Jesus for a fresh revelation of his immense transformational grace and his love for us. In the Old Testament book of Job, we find the story of a faithful God follower who has to do just what James 
writes about he has to persevere through the toughest of life trials. And Job writes this, When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, the real gold isn't in the gold. The real gold is the gold that God is creating in you as you are transformed by the Holy Spirit in the face of your trial. That's the goal to seek after. That's the goal to run after and to pour ourselves into. Thirdly, we need to look on life with an eternal perspective. James urges us to live with eternity in mind. Verse 12 says that the crown of life or eternity in the loving presence of Jesus is promised to those who persevere under trial. An eternal perspective completely changes the way that we endure our trials because we start to look for where God might be in the trial that we're in. We start to notice where he's at work, gently bringing in the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. Finally, we need to give God thanks as we did in those prayers earlier, even if it's for chocolate or our pets. But we need to give God thanks in the everyday and through the trials. I love verse 17, which says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God always gives good gifts to us, even in our season of trial. And there is always something to be thankful for. In a time like now, we need to develop our attitude of gratitude more than ever. We need to notice where God is in our situation. Notice those small daily gifts from the Lord and allow them to bring us joy in the process and joy in the pain. God is constant. Our circumstances may shift and at the moment they are often shifting, aren't they, day to day? But God doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He is your unconditionally loving saviour. He will never leave you or forsake you. Look for him. He's with you now, bringing you glimpses of daily hope as your father of lights. He's with you now, hearing your heart cry. He's with you now, as you weep. He's with you now, inviting you to step out of the darkness and into his joy-filled forever. He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we close now, I want to invite you perhaps to open your hands to receive again the gift of the Spirit. You might want to stand in your room where you are You might even want to just lie down on your floor if you're feeling just exhausted from all that's gone on in your week this week. Let's take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to come again. Come now, Holy Spirit. Lord, we acknowledge that this trial is too big for us. Lord, we need you and we need your strength and equipping. 
Equip us now with a strength that is not our own to endure this trial. Enable us to lift our head and look to you and give you thanks even through this. And some of us today might know that we we really need to relocate our hope to being hope in the Lord first and foremost and not in anything else. So if that's you, just acknowledge that before the Lord now. Allow him to just gently reorientate your heart back onto him of other things. Lord, may all our hope be in you and not in the material things of this world. And Lord, help us to hold on to the crown of life, to eternity before us, and change our perspective on the here and now because of that hope of glory, Lord, we pray. In Ephesians um, 2 verse 10, it says that we are God's handiwork, created Uh, We're created by him in advance to do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. And perhaps some of us feel that there are just these different colour jumble of threads. That picture perhaps really is where you feel you're at. But the Lord knows what he's doing in your life. And so, Lord, we trust you that you will complete the picture in our lives that you will bring your work to completion and we thank you we thank you for the beauty that you are building in each of us as we persevere through this time of trial together